1: Across our music and culture channels, we have a wide range of shows covering every genre, along with chat shows, discussions, and special broadcasts. Here is just one of our recent shows. To catch the full show, head to our mix club page or listen live at sohoradio.london.com.
2: Hello, it's Women in Jazz on Soho Radio. I'm Lou, and I'm Lev. We've got a very special show for you today, celebrating the life of Billie Holiday, one of the most influential jazz singers of all time.
1: We'll also be talking about the new film The United States vs. Billie Holiday by Lee Daniels, which is out on Sky Cinema today.
2: To begin with, here's Speak Low, taken from Billie's 1958 album All or Nothing at All. That was Speak Low by Billie Holiday. You're listening to Lou Paley and Lev from Women in Jazz on Soho Radio. If you're just joining us, today's show is all about Billie Holiday, her music, her struggles and her successes as an artist.
1: Billie was born and raised in Baltimore and in her short life, she faced a lot of obstacles, but she also achieved a lot. She's often described as a tragic figure and as someone who faced heartbreak and hardship, but also as one of the most influential jazz singers of all time. Lee Daniels' new film, The United States vs. Billie Holiday, explains why she holds this incredible legacy. The film explores her iconic record, Strange Fruit, a protest song about the lynching in America, which actually originally came from a poem. Billie first sung this in 1939 at a cafe society, which was actually 16 years before Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat on the bus. Andra Day who actually plays Billy in the film, said she sees her as the godmother of the civil rights movement.
2: And she was. What I recently learned was that the time, the only time Billy didn't sing Strange Fruit in her life was when she was in prison for a year. And in her biography, Lady Sings the Blues, she says, and I thought this was such a powerful quote, I have to keep singing it, not only because people ask for it, but because 20 years after my dad died, The things that killed him are still happening in the South. So she really was a voice for black America at a time when black voices were being silenced. So here we have it, Strange Fruit by Billie Holiday.
3: strange fruit.
1: That was "Strange Fruit" by Billie Holiday, one of the most powerful songs in jazz history and of the civil rights movement. And Billie is still known to this day for her fight for human rights, her fights for equality. I think even her fight for Her music and the way she wanted to perform and record her music and yet her whole discography is entirely reflective of that. I'm really excited to announce our first guest today who is pianist, band leader, composer and TV presenter Jules Holland. He started his career playing pubs in the East End Docks as a teenager and then went on to leading his rhythm and blues orchestra and hosting the contemporary British music television show later with Jules Holland, which has featured world-class artists from B.B. King to Nora Jones. He really has had quite the career.
2: So, Jules, thank you so much for coming on the show today. We've got a very special show about Billie Holiday. I'm a long-term admirer of Billie Holiday and her music. As are we, as are we. So, you know, Billie, as we know, was a singer who had a huge influence on jazz and the history of jazz and politics. You know, she's cited as the first voice of the civil rights movement what does Billie Holiday mean to you?
0: Well I think she's all of those things that you said uh, but I think her, it's her voice that is the thing that as you first get engaged with and I think particularly uh, I mean everybody has their own uh, period of a particular artist they like and the other thing in saying that with well, the great thing with these great jazz artists is that they have a different and unlike pop stars who live at the, at the sort of cutting edge, they have to have a hit or they're, you know, so, so I have great admiration for them, but the jazz stars, even though they might have short lives, they rec- they make music all their lives, they don't stop until they until they drop dead, basically. So there are lots of periods of her music and I think they all sort of represent a slightly different thing, but I have to say the thing that doesn't change is her voice and I think it's the fact that her voice has lots of contradictions because it has uh, vulnerability and it has plaintive sound to it, but at the same time it has incredible confidence and um, and emotion and a sort of an adult understanding. Um, it's Not sort of children's music, and I think that's why when I was a teenager, I really liked it because I didn't, I wasn't interested in hearing about teenagers and their angst. I wanted to hear about grown ups who'd experienced the world because I imagined that I was one of them. I wasn't, but by hearing Billy, you sort of felt that you were sort of part of a grown up world of knowing this. So it's the contradiction of her, her voice that's, that's vulnerable but at the same time incredibly confident, and I think you feel the emotion of her songs. And I think the greatest thing any musician can achieve or do is to achieve the fact that they sound like themselves or their, their music, whether it's their voice or the instrument they play is an extension of them. And I think that you feel that with Billie Holiday, you can just hear in her voice when she's singing the songs, even if it's a happy song, you can hear the the vulnerability in it.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think it's, yeah, it's that kind of raw authenticity which i think people resonate so much with
1: you know it's not it's not just about the music but it's about everything else that's involved in it too i completely agree with what you're saying i think there's a way of how she sings it's really unique and even if the subjects she's singing about are quite sad and quite painful she sings with joy as well and there's sadness and joy in our music.
0: Although, you know, I wouldn't want to put labels on music. She's like a great jazz artist. She And she's not like a traditional blues artist, but she has a lot of elements that the blues artists have, which is that she tells the truth of a story and she also has this great thing is that you feel as though she couldn't care less what anybody thinks of her ray charles once said to me he said he said people can like my music they can dislike my music they can like me or they can dislike me i couldn't care less so as long as i know when i'm telling them when i'm doing the music i'm telling the truth and you feel as though that's exactly what she's doing as soon as she sings she's kind of telling this truth and she and, you know whether you like it or not she couldn't care less which is again different to the, the to the I'm not criticising pop stars or anything, but that's a different view to a pop Pop star. wants to be liked. You feel Billy couldn't care less. This is just, this is what I do. If you don't like it, get out, you know.
2: I also think what's so um, kind of captivating about her sound and her kind of artistry is that she does really make you feel the way that she's feeling, which is, I think, quite rare to kind of experience that, that intimacy with the artist and, and really kind of getting to understand how they feel.
0: I think you're exactly right. And, and also what happens is that she, you know, there's that saying, it's a singer, not the song, where somebody sings a song and it then illuminates. And with the right singer, a song you'd never noticed or you might have thought was even rather banal, suddenly becomes actually incredibly poignant and moving to you. And I think when she sings the songs, that's what happens. They become that. And you feel the feelings of love or loss or jealousy or... Gaiety, or whatever it is she's singing about, you feel all of those things, and of course it becomes she's like a bit like a Rembrandt or somebody when you look at. Although his paintings are hundred years, hundreds of years old, you're looking at something and you're understanding, you're getting an insight into the human condition and how it hasn't really changed.
2: Now, Jules, you've played countless pieces composed, written by you know pioneers of gospel, the blues, jazz, etc what is it like putting yourself in the shoes of artists who inspire you or who you're admired by that you don't know personally?
0: I suppose the first music that I grew up with, um, in fact I, I mentioned one of my favourite songs by Billy Holiday's Loveless Love and my mother used to play that and you can hear, I was listening to it actually the other day and I realised that um, Nina Simone does a version of Loveless Love and she's I know that she's been listening to Billy's one it's, it's completely different but I know that's what she's been hearing to get that to get the attitude um, of what she's doing. And I think because I've grown up uh, you know the first records I have with people like Sister Rosetta Tharpe, a lot of the gospel people um, and when you're small you don't realize uh, and then a lot of the sort of um, blues and, 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 and pianists and things and Albert Hammonds and Pete Johnson and, 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 and Mary Lou Williams and people like this, but when you're small, you don't realize the time difference. I didn't realize, I, they were just great music to me. I didn't realize, you know, for, as far as I knew, they lived two streets away. I didn't wasn't aware that they were particularly from a different place. As I got a bit older, I thought, oh, well, they're from America. And then I realized they were from a different time, you know, and they weren't around anymore. To me, they'd just been, all of their voices, Sister Rosetta thought was just somebody who was around in the house. So she just seemed like she was part of my family and an influence. Once you get older, you start to realise the context that they're playing in and the context the music is in, which is an important thing. But also you realise how great the music is. It's the, the older it gets, the more you look at it and the more you learn about it, the greater it becomes. When I'm interpreting that music, I'm just trying to connect the feeling of it that it gives me. And it's, it's such a powerful feeling of sometimes joy of just making, you know, I think when I first heard that music, I heard my mother playing Sister Rosetta Tharp 78 it made me want to just jump up with it just excited me physically Um, and I want to sort of you want to capture that moment that almost childlike innocent uh, um, adoration of something and so that's what I'm trying to do when you're I'm trying to just communicate that feeling
2: what do you think it was in particular about Billy's style which kind of resonated with people I mean obviously we spoke about the kind of historical context and um, how that made people feel at the time. But what was it about the music, do you think?
0: I think people, uh, in many ways, you know, it's like when you look historically, people are sort of, you know, like um, the world's moved on for the better in lots of ways. But in lots of ways, people are less skilled at communicating. You know, they're all looking at their phones. When Billy was singing these songs, people weren't looking at their phones or the, or the TV particularly. Um, so they, I think they lived life a bit more, they engaged. So her audiences were a bit more engaged and the audiences uh, would have been, I think, you know, they'd have heard that music. And she, she also, it should be, I should say that the reason that she sounds so great is because she, she's doing gigs all the time. So that her experience is based not, on, not only on her life, but performing to people. And that way you sort of, you cultivate the way of communicating. The key to Billy's thing is, is like I was saying, she's got this vulnerability and huge, power at the same time in her voice but it's when she it's when an artist has the ability to turn the poetry of popular song that could be easily as I say be almost mundane to turn that into the greatest poetry on earth and that's what she does by seeing it is it the phrasing I don't know if it's I, I've got the I'm sure I don't know but to me it sounds like she never even thought about her phrasing it's just how she sang you know I think that's what a lot of artists do they never think about it that's just their way of doing
3: it. There is no greater love than what I feel for
1: you That was There Is No Greater Love by Billie Holiday. If you're just joining us, we're currently in conversation with Jules Holland about the life of Billie Holiday. Billy has inspired a lot of female jazz artists and particularly a lot of jazz artists that you've championed, Jules, like Celeste, Amy Winehouse, um, Bjork. What have you learned from working with so many artists, all from such different backgrounds and different jazz expressions?
0: Every single different in the way they in the way they perform, in the way they sing. Celeste is somebody you mentioned, who is fantastic, who has a similar thing actually, to Billy, I think, in that she, she does, except she's, she doesn't have the same history, but she's got the same fantastic tone and this slight vulnerability that kind of, the two connect, I think it's, it's interesting. You know, all, all the singers are different. Amy on the other side, Amy Winehouse you're talking about, is somebody who, who had a life not dissimilar, but they're continuing the same idea, which is to communicate the song as themselves. And I think the most important thing about all the singers you've just mentioned who are fantastic is that they are themselves. They're not trying to, they've all learned not to try to be somebody else, but just to be themselves. And themselves is the thing that we all love. That voice is the thing that we that we, we, we love of theirs. But it's great, I'm very pleased to say that now there are so many fantastic uh, female jazz artists coming forward. And I think it's great that that's happening more and more, because historically, um, uh, they've been the, 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 some of the most important uh, artists that there have been, you know.
2: Yeah, definitely, who have paved um, the way for generations to come. And yeah, as you said, it's it's seeing these artists at the forefront of of um, of music, not just jazz, is is incredible. And they're there because they are um, amazing musicians.
0: Thirty years ago, it wasn't quite so plain because it was a, it was a lot about groups. Twenty years ago, now there's lots of female artists but that's much more of a thing than just groups which it was and it's going back to a thing which it, and that's what it was like when the people were inventing it when there were people like Mar Rainey or Bessie Smith, Diana Washington, Mahalia Jackson, Dorothy Lovecoats, all those sort of people there were single artists and it's sort of gone back to that um and I think that's and it's and I think people are sort of more and more going well hang on they realize where the music's coming from and all of the great female artists that were that were uh, but we're inventing it in the first place.
2: Yeah, and, and lots of those artists, you know, weren't recognised until much later on in their careers for, for their achievements and, and what they, you know, their stamp, I guess, and, on, on jazz. And...
0: But I think going back to the painting analogy, the thing is, you know, there's like uh, Rembrandt at the time, I think he died a bankrupt, but everybody remembers him now. And I think it's going to be the same with a lot of those artists they won't, you know, you could say because of the time and the way people were and everything, you know, the people like Diana Washington, Bessie Smith, all of that, you know, the, the likes of that. Will we ever see them again? But I think they're going to be remembered in another three or 400 years time as this incredible thing because they invented this whole new way of looking at things I
1: think that's really true their legacies will live on and that's why they were such important artists so Jules your favorite track by Billy is the 1939 recording of "Lover's Love could you tell us a little bit about that track and what it means to you
0: so Loveless Love as I was saying a bit earlier my mother used to play it on the piano so I really I it was one of the first things I heard is the tune is supposed to be based on a Scottish folk song like a lot of stuff goes back you know it's all cross-pollinates in the in the in the ether somewhere, and so it's got this rather haunting melody, and the words get changed around to suit the singer's purposes. But there's something the, the tempo of it is really great. But the way that again it's and it's a sort of a rather sad song, but the way Billy delivers it is in a sort of is in that sort of attitude of the blues where it's got a sadness. But you know that's okay. This is what it is. I've take a bigger view. I can look down in on it. It's also Uh, a real kind of example of her singing a blues song I suppose and I think the thing for me the definition of what a good piece of music is is wanting to hear it again and I was looking through and I I played that one because I hadn't heard it for a bit and I immediately thought I want to hear that again so for me that's good.
2: Jules um, thank you so much for coming on the show today it's just been such a pleasure talking to you and finding out more about your inspirations and
1: the history of Billy as well so thank you. And this is Jules's choice Loveless Love. Our next guest is music journalist, DJ and presenter Tina Edwards, who has been at the forefront of the contemporary UK jazz scene for over seven years. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Tina. So today's show is all about Billie Holiday. So how has Billie shaped your view of jazz?
4: I mean, I think jazz is so multifaceted that, you know, it's, you could break it down into a million sort of pieces and different sounds, but I think the. The space in jazz that Billy holds for me is protest music, really. You know, her pain, her oppression, all of these elements are at the forefront of her and her music, and, you know, to say she wears her heart on her sleeve is, is kind of far too easy to say. So with songs like Strange Fruit about lynching, and with songs that kind of presented to us the ways that she was perhaps using narcotics to deal with the difficulties she had in life, you know, which leaned back way more to dealing with the systemic issues that she was living with. Um, I think it would be crazy, you know, to kind of leave out the element of of protest in her music. So to me, I think jazz music has protest kind of at its core. And I think Billy was a huge part of making that the case.
2: Billy passed away nearly 62 years ago and her legacy remains today. she's still inspiring so many artists across the world in many different ways. Why do you think Billy, aside you know from this the kind of historical context and and you know the process and power, obviously that's a huge part of her identity. but why else do you think Billy is still you know such an icon?
4: I think she reminds artists that that we have a voice um and to do with that what we will is is a huge kind of honor to have and and a huge badge of um of strength and and uniqueness as well and I think that the way that she sang was so original to her, the inflictions in her voice, the way she kind of slid between the notes, you know it was just absolute caramel and you know you could maybe say that of a few artists of the time but no one did it quite like Billy and just the strength of the songs as well you know I think there's plenty of songwriters that she worked with um, who kind of added to her distinctive voice Um, and one of those was Uh, the songwriter for the track that I chose to play as well actually.
2: Yes T tell us a little bit about the track that you've chosen.
4: Yeah so this song I mean I I came to this kind of a bit backwards because I mean my my life and my career really revolves around jazz and my love for jazz but I actually grew up uh, listening to pop, rock, emo you know even straight through uni I was you know listening to all sorts of stuff with guitars and whatever at the forefront before I discovered jazz and so I actually discovered the tune that I've picked through Romy from the XX who put a a cover of it on Myspace and it's good morning heartache it's hauntingly beautiful it's it's melancholic which I think kind of represents the fact that although she was always facing these really difficult times and events in her life it always seemed like somewhere just a tiny bit of optimism was always there the flame never completely went out in that regards Um, and the songwriter was a female black american songwriter called irene higginbotham Um, so i also love that you know obviously she was working with other female artists and, and composers at the time so i picked it kind of just based on the fact that really to listen to it's my absolute
1: favorite song of hers for sure amazing yeah i think hauntingly beautiful is a really really good way to describe the way she sings a huge thanks to tina for coming on the show this is her selection good morning heartache <laughs> Our next guest today is three-time Grammy Award-winning songwriter and jazz singer, Dee Dee Bridgewater. Her career has always bridged musical genres and she earned her first professional experience as a member of the legendary Fad Jones big band. And throughout the 70s, she's performed with such jazz notables as Max Roach, Sonny Rollins, Dexter Gordon and Dizzy Gillespie. Dee, you've been singing since you were 16 and you haven't stopped since. So how has Billy influenced you as a jazz artist?
3: I first uh, discovered Billy. I was introduced to her by my first husband Cecil Bridgewater when I was um, 20. And um, I didn't like her. Uh, And it wasn't until I read her uh, book I could identify with her life. And so I took, I, I listened to her again after having read the book. And then her voice made sense.
2: The film that um, that is coming out on Sky Tomorrow, obviously, is all about Strange Fruit. And that was such a pivotal and important part of her career.
3: Strange Fruit was the beginning of the collapse of her career, so to speak. I think that the problems that she had with the agents, you know, because sometimes they plant drugs in her dressing rooms. They did all kinds of stuff. Um, I found out in my research, and I'd be interested to see if Lee Daniels found this in his, but it was two federal agents that posed as admirers that came to see her at Bellevue and gave her the gift of the gardenias with the heroin in it. And so trying to kill her, you know, and, and she died. She died not long after that, you know, But and, you know, she had, you know, cirrhosis of the liver and... Uh, she had some other um, health complications, but the sous-entendu is that that was the thing, you know, finally took her out. Are the star's out tonight I don't know if it's cloudy or bright Cause I only have eyes for you When we're out together dancing
2: Thank you to everyone for tuning in today. We've loved delving into and exploring the life of Billie Holiday. And it doesn't stop there. If you want to find out more about Billie's story, the United States versus Billie Holiday is out today via Sky Cinema.
1: We'd also like to say a huge thank you to Jules, Tina Edwards and Dee, Dee for sharing their thoughts on Billie today. We're going to leave you with Billie's 1952 hit Blue Moon from her album, Billie Sings.